Well, good morning, church. It's great to have you here online with us. We've looked forward to this all week, and it was especially good to see a few of you at the food drive yesterday. Really enjoyed that. Uh, whether you're here from Streamwood campus at Tri-Village or from the West Chicago campus, we're just so glad to be together this morning. We're going to open with an invocation from the Archbishop of Canterbury in England, and I'll read the first part, and then you can join at home with His Spirit is with us. And we celebrate this truth to be true because our faith in Christ Jesus. So let's read together. The Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. We need not fear. His Spirit is with us. We are surrounded by love. His Spirit is with us. We are immersed in peace. His spirit is with us. We rejoice in hope. His spirit is with us. And we press on in faith. His spirit is with us. Well, some of you may have missed the choir that usually leads us in our traditional services. And so we are bringing them to you from their homes to your home this morning. And we hope you enjoy singing along with them and worshiping with them as we sing the next two songs together. So let's hear from them.
Well, thank you to the choir for all those many takes that you did and for um, to Amy and Justin, our audio and video engineers that helped put that together. That's a blessing for all of us to see each other. Um, we're going to continue our worship with those live in the room. One of our um, musicians is a newer to our church. Andrew Yee is our violin player, and he just finished Rooted with his wife, Cynthia, right before the quarantine happened. And so if you're new to our church, we want to encourage you that you're not alone, and we really look forward to getting you more plugged in once we can be together more. So let's sing together.
never fear, it's on the way. We have a special uh, song for you this morning by Eric Godoy, our bass player. He's written a, a composition for us this morning, a bass solo, and um, it's called The Mercy and the Love of God. And so as he plays, we encourage you to take in the scripture that's on the screen along with him and just let your heart and your mind be flooded with the Lord's goodness to us, his grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. Thanks so much, Eric. It's beautiful. Let's continue our worship.
coordinator for Puente del Pueblo, one of our local ministries. If you're new here, I want to say thank you for joining us today, and we would love to get to know you better. So I want to invite you to text the word GIFT to 630-260-1600, and we will do two things. We'll send a gift your way just to say welcome to our church, and also we will ask you to choose one of our local partnering nonprofits, and we will send them also a gift. Now, for those of you who have been supporting our community, through all these last few months, I have a little update for you. Um, you probably have heard in the last few weeks that Puente has been able to serve several families. But what most of you know Puente for is the after-school programs and the kids that we serve at Puente. And uh, during this time when schools are closed, we had to figure out how to connect with them. So we created some Zoom accounts and we did one-on-one -on -one video chats with them. And of course, the focus was mainly academic. We helped them finish homework and prepare uh, for college and uh, just finish the school strong. But what students said is what was most impactful for them was the time volunteers and staff took to care for them. Now, in the midst of all of this, with uh, struggles and uh, lost, lost jobs and uh, pandemic things, uh, eight of our students graduated from high school. These are seniors that many of them have been with us since elementary, um, and they are a very resilient group. Uh, you will see here their names here. They didn't get to get a graduation, but two of them had really good words for you. So I'm going to put right here a couple of videos from our students to you. Hi everyone, I'm Ruby Romero and I just want to thank everyone in Puente del Pueblo for being such an amazing organization and has helped me throughout my whole life. Um, they have given me opportunities for school, taught me English, and then so much more that will definitely help me in college and in the professional world. I cannot thank them enough and they have become like a second family to me. Um, thank you and have a great day. Stay blessed everyone. Hi, my name is George Calderon. I've been in Puente since fifth grade, and I'm a fresh graduate from West Chicago Community High School. I will attend Aurora University in the fall while ma majoring in nursing, and I just wanted to give a huge thanks to all the volunteers and anyone associated with Puente. Um, I don't think I'd be the person uh, I am today if, I, if it wasn't for all of you guys and gals. Uh, I also want to thank Wheaton Bible Church for all that it's done for me and giving, uh, 
us an opportunity uh, at such an amazing program. I hope you guys are doing well, and uh, thank you. Church, thank you for supporting our ministry, especially during this time. If you're able, will you consider donating, still giving to our church? You can do it in three different ways. You can go uh, and text us the word Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can go online to wheatonbible.org slash give and uh, make your donation there or send a gift uh, to our local office. Uh, I'm going to invite Pastor Rob uh, to come up and pray for this offering we're about to receive. Thank you, Saul. Would you bow with me and let's pray together as a church. Father, we come to you this morning mindful that in spite of what we see around us, according to your word, you are unfailing in your love. Would you remind us of that? Your word tells us that the earth is full of your unfailing love. Elsewhere, how priceless is your unfailing love. The eyes of the Lord are on those whose hope is in his unfailing love. And Father, we know, according to your word, at the center of the universe is a God of love who overflows in love. And we see that in the beauty of uh, creation all around us. We see this in the way that you have brought together families. We see this God in the new life of a newborn. We are amazed at your unfailing love and we are confident that it is your love that will sustain us in times of difficulty, in times of blessing. And so we praise you. Not only are you the King of kings and the Lord of lords, uh, but central to who you are as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is love. As some have said, it's your greatest attribute, and we praise you that it is constant, it is unmitigated, it is forgiving, and it is life-changing because of what you have done for us in Jesus Christ and giving your Son who willingly went to the cross and died for our sins who you in power, infinite power, raised from the dead, who is now at your right hand, seated in glory, sustaining and ruling over all that we are, all that we see. And we thank you that that means a loving, sovereign father through his son is ruling over our lives, ruling over our nations, ruling over our situations. Ruling over our health, ruling over our finances, ruling over our families. And Father, we need to be reminded of your unfailing love today. As we look around us and we see the tragedy of this global pandemic. And we pray, God, that you would bring an end uh, to the COVID-19 health crisis that has impacted so many of us in so many ways. We pray, God, that numbers would, uh, infection rates would continue to go down, deaths would continue to go down, not just here in Chicagoland, but throughout the state of Illinois, throughout our country, and throughout the world. 
We pray that any uh, notions of resurgences would be small. We pray that you would guide uh, the medical community, the scientific community, as we look for solutions for medicines, for vaccines. We pray that those would happen and those would be effective and work. We pray for our healthcare workers and pray that you would continue uh, to protect them. And we thank you that the infection rate among them here locally is so very low. And we pray, God, uh, that you as, would give us wisdom as a church as we continue these discussions about reopening and what that looks like and what that will be and when that will be. Guide us and direct us that we might, God, um, honor your word in meeting together, but yet do it in a way that is safe and meaningful and worshipful. And now we turn to the racial turmoil and tension that's all around us and um, now is focused just even today in Atlanta. And we ask God that you would give a grace. We pray that you would bring an end to looting and rioting. We pray that clear heads and calm hearts would prevail. We pray for our brother, brothers and sisters that are facing injustice and discrimination and pray that you would bring an end to that. We pray, God, for our government leaders and ask that you would give them profound wisdom and insight, not just with the COVID pandemic, but also uh, with how to respond to what we see happening, the turmoil in the hot spots around our country. And we say all this, God, because you are the king, and we are not. Uh, no leader is the king like you are the king. As a matter of fact, you are the greatest king in all of history. You are greater than all the greatest kings combined. And so our confidence is in you. And we pray, God, that you would give us that confidence. So many of my brothers and sisters are fearful today, God. Fearful for a lot of different reasons. Uh, some of them are legitimate, others are illegitimate. And I ask that you would comfort their hearts. We pray for people that are experiencing loss and hardship and difficulty, health issues in a variety of different ways. Would you comfort as only you can comfort by your spirit? And I pray, God, that you would, as the church, give us clarity how to uh, stand upon your wonderful word, the beautiful teachings of the Bible, the union and relationship we enjoy in, this, uh, in your Son, the power of the Spirit that is ours. And you would fill us with compassion and kindness and concern. So we come to you today and praise you in this moment that you are behind the clouds. You are behind the overcast skies. And you are the one that is underneath it all. You are beside us, above us, under us. And we bow and we worship you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Well, good morning. Good morning to our Streamwood campus, uh, those of you that are part of our North Avenue uh, campus, uh, those of you that plan on being a part of our Warrenville campus in the months uh, to come, 
and we praise God for you and your commitment to Jesus Christ. I want you to know how very thankful I am for you. And today, in the absence of sports, and because so many of us are experiencing sports withdrawal, I want to begin with a sports story. It's about basketball and a man named Tom Amberry. Tom was 6'7". He was smart, and he was driven. But he was never quite good enough to play in Division I college basketball, let alone the NBA. So Tom became a doctor and spent decade after decade taking care of his patients. But when Tom retired, he returned to basketball and he developed a passion for perfecting the science of the free throw shot. Poof. Swish. And he studied and he learned. And in 1993, Tom set the world record, the Guinness Book of World Records for the number of consecutive free throws, making 200, 2,000 rather, 750. And he did it at the age of 71. On 431 different occasions, Tom Amberry made 500 or more consecutive free throws, all in his 70s. He developed videos, he wrote books, he became a consultant to the likes of the Chicago Bulls. And here we are in our series on wisdom from the Old Testament book of Proverbs, a, a series that I think is so timely, so important, as all of us are struggling to figure out what is wise, what is wisdom, and the different situations we face in life right now. Wisdom, according to the Proverbs, is uh, living life with competence. It's uh, having the ability to handle your circumstances, whatever they are. It's doing what is best in good times and in difficult times. And I know many of you well enough to know that whether you're a student or whether you're a senior adult, some of you often experience a pit in your stomach because you lack wisdom and you know you lack wisdom. So today we're going to continue this series on wisdom and Proverbs. And I want you to understand what Tom Amberry is to free throws. Our passage, which is Proverbs chapter 8 and a portion of Proverbs chapter 9, <laughs> is to wisdom and is to life. So let's look at a couple of things before we begin. First of all, I want you to understand Proverbs 8 and 9 are a transition. They're a transition from the first half of the book to the second half of the book. The first nine chapters are a call to wisdom made up of lengthy sections uh, describing in different ways how wisdom is so much more important than gold. Now I want you to know this contrast between wisdom and gold uh, 
uh, the relative value of wisdom compared to all the money in the world is important to me. And it goes back to my family of origin. Because my father was a talented guy. My father came from a a reasonably well-off family. But my father drank himself to death because he had zero wisdom. Nothing is more important for you in living your life than living with wisdom. Whether you have no money, whether you have uh, tons of money. And so Proverbs chapter 8 and Proverbs chapter 9, at at the end of this introductory section, the first nine chapters are, if you will, a final call. They're laying the foundation for the statements to follow because beginning in chapter 10, we have the short wisdom statements through the rest of the book of Proverbs that has made this book so beloved and so famous. Statements like a gentle answer turns away wrath. A harsh word stirs up anger. And I say all this because if we get the first nine chapters right, and more particularly today, uh, these two transition chapters at the end, chapters 8 and 9, because they lay the foundation for what's to follow, then we will have a context for these short wisdom statements. And we will understand the significance for our life in Jesus Christ. And the second thing I want to say is that Proverbs 8 and 9 are poetic. Now, not in the sense that these verses rhyme, but in the sense that they're full of images and pictures, uh, figures of speech. So, for example, in both chapters, wisdom is personified as a noble and strong woman. And in addition, at a much more profound level, uh, when you see the word wisdom in these chapters, you can almost always substitute the word Jesus. Because according to the New Testament, wisdom walked out to us in the person of Jesus. So as we're working our way through these chapters... I want to say to you, the wisdom you need right now is walking out to you in Proverbs. And frankly, you'd be a fool not to act on it. So let's begin reading in chapter 8 and verse 1. Does not wisdom call out? Does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, She takes her stand beside the gate leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud, To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. You who are simple, gain prudence. You who are foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. I open my lips to speak what is right. My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right. They are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. 
For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell together with prudence. I possess knowledge and discretion. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech. Counsel and sound judgment are mine. I have insight, I have power. By me, kings reign, and rulers issue decrees that are just. By me, princes govern, and nobles, all who rule the earth. I love those who love me, and those who seek me find me. With me are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold, which I, what I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, along the paths of justice, bestowing a rich inheritance on those who love me and making their treasuries full. I love this last image, making their treasuries full. It's wisdom, not money, that will make your treasury full. Now skip down to verse 32. Now then, my children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Listen to my instruction and be wise. Do not disregard it. Blessed are those who listen to me, watching daily at my doors, waiting at my doorway. For those who find me find life and receive favor from the Lord. But those who fail to find me harm themselves. All who hate me love death. And let's begin in chapter 9 and verse 13. Folly, however, is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling out to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. And what I want to do is I want to look at three benefits of wisdom that emerge from these two passages. If you will, three reasons why wisdom is better than fine gold. And here's the first. The first is that wisdom enables you to choose life, not death. Now, in chapter 7, we didn't read chapter 7, and at the end of chapter 9, which we read, Solomon warns his son about the dangers of the immoral woman called Lady Folly. But in between chapter 7 and the end of chapter 9, we meet another woman, Lady Wisdom, the one moves secretly at night, uh, speaking falsely, speaking seductively. The other lady, wisdom, moves publicly in full sight uh, during the day, speaking what is true. The one lady, folly, like a video game, offers temporary pleasure. The other lady, wisdom, offers eternal life. 
and a promise here to satisfy the deepest, most profound longings of your heart. And the outcomes here are so dramatically different. So look at the end of chapter 8, what we just read. For those who find me find life, but those who fail to find me harm themselves, and all who hate me love or find death. Lady folly leads to death, spiritual death, even physical death often. But lady wisdom, on the other hand, leads to life. So to reject Jesus is to reject wisdom, and to reject wisdom is to choose death. Now the choice is yours. But let me go on and wrestle for a couple minutes with how we choose Lady Wisdom. What do we continually do as followers of Christ? What is uh, one thing that is central to following the path of wisdom? And I want to take you to Jesus' statement in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, do you see the paradox Wisdom or life requires that you die before you live, that you die in order to live. It requires you die daily to your sin, to your self-centeredness, to your tendency to take good things and make them ultimate things. Oh, I just can't live uh, without this, without X. And whatever that X is becomes an idol in your life. Now, in light of Jesus' words, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen to me very carefully. Because what Jesus is saying is that he came to kill Rabu and to make me alive in him. Jesus Christ came to kill you and to make you alive in him. It's what it means in in light of the previous verse, verse 34, to deny yourself. And denying ourselves repeatedly and continually in little areas, medium-sized areas, big areas, is how we move down the road towards life and not death. And self-denial, by the way, is not rocket science. It's what makes mothers great mothers, fathers great fathers, employees great employees, athletes, musicians, great athletes, great musicians. And here, Jesus says you can't be a disciple without continually, repeatedly denying yourself. Uh, Say no, for example, to your anger. Uh, Your lack of forgiveness. Uh, Your struggle with bitterness, your struggle with fear. Uh, your pride. Mark chapter 8 explains how we experience life. 
And it's saying no. It's denying ourselves and taking up our cross and saying yes to Jesus as by the power of the Holy Spirit, he fills us, morphs us, transitions us, often slowly, often painfully, but always progressively. Now let me go on. That's the first benefit of wisdom. It enables us to choose life, not death, and it comes to the extent you deny yourself. The second benefit is this. Wisdom enables you to live justly, not unjustly. Now let's go back to Proverbs chapter 8 for this. In verses 7 and 8. We're here... uh, Jesus is speaking and he says, My mouth speaks what is true. For my lips detest wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just. None of them is crooked or perverse. So Jesus' words are true. Jesus' words are just. In verse 9, they are, are right. In other words, Jesus is telling us, God's word is is telling us that we live in a world overflowing with moral absolutes. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong. Absolutely right, absolutely wrong. But when we think of this uh, concept of uh, just here, this uh, larger concept in the book of Proverbs, and I'll show you that in a minute, of, uh, of justice, I-, I want you to understand that what our Lord is getting at here isn't that just that you and I live good moral lives, but that we live lives of compassion, where we treat people equitably, where we stand with the vulnerable and, and the weak, where we have a, a social, a community conscience. And we see this just a couple of verses later in chapter 8, when we are told, by me kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. Now think about that word in this context. A good king is one whose people prosper whose people are treated justly, equitably. A a good Christian, in the broadest sense of the term good, is a person whose people, whose family, whose friends, whose co-workers prosper because you live a life that is just and you seek the common good of the the people uh, around you. And it's justice that we long for from our... uh, Elected leaders, we want them to issue decrees that are just. So let me take this a step further. The parable of the Good Samaritan, just think how just the Good Samaritan one was in Jesus' parable. I mean, here's a guy that's bleeding, what, dying in the road, and Jewish leaders go by, completely ignore him, abandon him. And the Samaritan not only befriends him, but takes care of him and and begins a process of bringing healing uh, uh, to his life, even though that person was his ethnic enemy. So when we look at this concept of just here, uh, just in Proverbs chapter 8, what I want you to understand, it's not just a call to character. 
It's a call to compassion. And that's the point here in verse 15. I love what Pastor Tony Evans once told two of us on the phone when we were having a conversation with them. And he put it this way, the gospel isn't a social gospel. The gospel is not a social gospel. But the gospel has social implications. Just like it has family implications, work implications. Now let me apply this uh, to our current situation. Let's go to the end of the book of Proverbs And I want you to see these two verses. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. For the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Now I want you to notice that these are commands. Uh, These are responsibilities for us as uh, followers of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, these are to so characterize our lives that the people around us see it. And that's just exactly what we see a few verses later to be one of the salient, one of the dominant characteristics of a godly woman. So look at verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor. She extends her hands to the needy. She illustrates uh, the commands of verses 8 and 9 just a little earlier in the same chapter. Now this builds on the central, I mean central, biblical teaching that all humans are made in the image of God. It's a book of Genesis, the early chapters of Genesis. And therefore we are all of equal worth and dignity in the sight of God. And all men and women are to be equally valued and protected and, and, and cared for. As C.S. Lewis famously said in his essay, The Weight of Glory, there are no mere mortals. No one around you, starting with yourself, is a mere mortal. Now let me press into this, and I want to tell you what this means for me. First of all, it means for me that to be a Christian, I must stand against abortion. I must stand for pro-life efforts and pro-life agencies. I happen to believe that abortion is the biggest, biggest social injustice of our modern day because every abortion murders a human being made in God's image. There's a second thing this means for me. And that is, while I affirm strong borders for our country, I want to be a person, I want us to be a church that welcomes and stands with and extends compassion to the refugees and the immigrants among us. This is a significant part of my work with the wonderful mission organization, Greater Europe Mission, where I happen to be the chairman of the board as we address the socio-political issues facing Greater Europe today. This is the whole point of our Pointe ministry. Saul, Saul illustrated this earlier uh, in, in his comments about these graduates and how God is working. It's the point of the videos we just heard. 
It's why every summer here at Wheaton Bible Church, for the last summer, several years, we've had a, a Monday through Friday all-day summer camp for children who are vulnerable, or for children who need a, a place to go. And why, it's why on a smaller scale, we will do this a, a little later in, in the summer. I want to suggest to you that this is what it means to live justly. Now let me apply this to Black Lives Matter. I cannot, I, I, I will not support or stand with the organization Black Lives Matter. Because on their belief statement, and you can check it out online, they go on to say, after uh, advocating for standing against social, uh, racial injustice, that part of their mission is to disrupt, and I'm quoting here, the nuclear or traditional family. To foster a queer-affirming network. And to free us from the belief that all people are heterosexual at birth. Now, putting these two issues together is subtle, but it's very sophisticated because what is being alleged is if I, as a man, uh, affirm traditional marriage and that gender is not fluid, but it is fixed at birth, then I'm a racist, just like a white supremacist is a racist. But the Bible separates these two. On the one hand, the Bible condemns racism. On the other hand, the Bible affirms heterosexuality. Now, having said that, I want you to hear me. In light of the verses we have just read in Proverbs chapter 31, while I can't support the organization Black Lives Matter, I can and must affirm Black Lives Matter, lowercase. And when my adult kids call me and, and say, hey, Dad, uh, and now we're hearing stories from our, our black friends and, and the stories of being singled out and being viewed with suspicion simply because of the color of their skin, you know how I respond? It makes me weep. And ask myself the question, how am I going to be like the godly woman here in Proverbs chapter 31? I've been interacting this week with a wonderful black brother here at Wheaton Bible Church. And in an email, he said this to me on Friday. The phrase black lives matter is not meant to suggest that black lives matter more but affirms that they matter as much as other lives. And, and I would add, that this is one of the points of the parable of the Good Samaritan, that Samaritan lives matter. It's what Paul's getting at in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, relative to the church, that Gentiles, not just Jews, matter. It's what the Bible teaches from the beginning to the end of the Bible, as I, I just said, that the unborn matter, because we're all created in, in the image of God. And I want to submit to you, this is what Proverbs 8 is getting at. 
or what the words that Jesus speaks, what is true, calls us to embrace what is true and just and right. And I want to encourage you to do the same. To live lives that are just, not unjust. And I want to suggest to you that Proverbs 38 is an up-to-date, I mean this moment up-to-date application for us of the concepts of the biblical notion of justice talked about, truth talked about in Proverbs chapter 8. Let's go on. The third benefit of wisdom is it enables you to hate evil and not people. Look at this verse in Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, it's so straightforward. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse uh, speech. I, happened, I went to the third largest high school in the state of Indiana. This was back right around when the earth was forming and cooling. But it was a really large high school. And in my senior year, the United States was experiencing significant but scattered racial riots around the country. And our town in northern Indiana, Elkhart, Indiana, a town of about 40,000, um, uh, was especially bad relative to rioting. As a matter of fact, inside our massive high school, in the interior, in the corners of each hallway, Policemen were stationed. Our town was that hot. And they were there in order to keep peace. And it felt some days like you were going to high school in a prison. And I remember my senior year marching with our pastor to affirm racial unity as we walked through the center of our town to stand for the dignity of all people made in the image of God. And I wasn't even a Christian. It was just intuitive to me. Now fast forward to 1995. It's my first year as a senior pastor here at Wheaton Bible Church. And Wheaton, the town of Wheaton was in turmoil because the Ku Klux Klan was going to hold a rally here in Wheaton. So I spoke, I, I preached about racial equality uh, before the cross, in light of the cross. And I was a part of a, a group of pastors, black pastors, brown pastors, white pastors, that came together to stand against it. So just to, uh, so you can see this, this is a picture of me, and uh, on the right is our, uh, one of our first, uh, or is our first uh, Latino pastor here at Wheaton Bible Church, and a black pastor in the community. That's 1995. And we're standing against what the Ku Klux Klan is about to do. Uh, one of the sad takeaways as I stumbled on that picture is that 25 years ago, the media was much more interested in what the church is doing than even today, just 25 years later. So you fast forward 11 years, and in 2006, the plight of the immigrant in the United States was a hot-button issue. So along with a Another previous senior pastor of our Spanish-speaking ministry, I wrote letters to the editors of the Chicago Tribune, 
uh, to the Daily Herald and asserted uh, our, strong, our, our commitment to strong national borders, but recommended a measured and a vetted path to citizenship for the 11 million immigrants that are among us. Why? Uh, because of the importance of the traditional family, the nuclear family in the Bible. And the notion of busting up families, some uh, family members have been here for decades, was simply horrifying to me. It still is. Now here we are today, and I'm not going to be silent. Our country is in the midst of another racial crisis. So I want to ask the question, what does it mean to hate evil, pride, and wicked deeds, just as we've seen in the verse? And I want to suggest, among many things, it means at least three things. It means you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, must work to reverse Satan's evil efforts uh, to accelerate the breakdown of the nuclear, the traditional family in all of our communities. We must work against Satan's efforts. It means that we as Christians must stand against racism in all its forms. Understanding this is not a white, brown, black, or political issue. This is a biblical issue. And third, it means because we love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength, uh, we love our neighbors as ourselves. And we don't separate those. Uh, we don't uh, um, get into the, the trap of thinking, well, I'm too, so busy loving God, I can't love my neighbor. Or I'm so busy loving my neighbor, I don't have time to love God. We hold these two together. Uh, uh, the one is the cause, the other is the result. And what that means is that we acknowledge and we address and we enter into and we empathize with those who experience racial discrimination, intimidation, and suspicion in any form. It's Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. I want to encourage you to think about what that means for you. Now, for me, hating evil means I mourn over the black college student, now a Christian rapper, who was walking down the street of his college town when he was handcuffed and thrown into a police car, taken to the police station, and sat there and waited and waited while a white couple came in order to identify if he was the one that committed a crime against them, knowing, as a young believer in Christ, if they said yes, he would be thrown into jail simply because of the color of his skin. Hating evil means for me that I want to try to understand, like many of you, what my very own daughter is going through in raising black and Latino uh, 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 children and how she has to prepare them and teach them that, yes, some people will make fun of the color, some kids will make fun of the color of your skin. But in God's sight, the color of your skin is beautiful because he made you in his image. Hating evil is empathizing with our black brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church who have had their yards vandalized, burned in Wheaton and Winfield. 
Hating evil is seeing it. It's getting involved in overcoming it. It's praying for change. And if we as followers of Christ uh, uh, don't uh, step into this, stand up for this in this particular moment and, and, and attempt to be love and to be light, then I believe that we as a church will only be increasingly marginalized because we have failed to act on the social implications of the gospel. Now I'm done. And in conclusion, I want to say, if you're at all like me, and I think you're very much like me, we're not equal to this. We're not equal to living uh, the way the Bible calls us to live. We're so busy. I'm so busy. We have so much stuff coming at us. We're self-centered in ways we don't even realize. We all want to be uh, comfortable and we want to avoid messy uh, situations. So what do we do? And the answer is we look to Jesus. We look to the gospel. And allow the love and mercy of Jesus to transform us as we realize uh, that um, I am so sinful that Jesus Christ had to die for me. You are so sinful that Jesus had to die for you. Yet so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. Now the one heals my feelings of superiority. I'm so sinful, I'm so riddled with sin. I'm just as sinful as the next person. That I have nothing to be proud about. I have no reason for feeling uh, superior in any uh, way. I'm so sinful Jesus had to die for me. That heals my issues of superiority. But it also heals, on the other hand, the second part of that sentence, heals my issues of inferiority. I am so loved that Jesus was glad to die for me. And so when I get down and I get discouraged and I think I'm worthless, I have nothing to contribute. Nothing can be further from the truth. Because Jesus so loved me, he was glad to die for me. And when I fix my eyes on Jesus and see a bleeding and dying Savior, I'm able to move beyond the media show, I'm able to move beyond the politics and see the opportunity to love just as Jesus Christ loved me. And church, that's what it means for us. Not just to live as lights, but to live justly. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. For the lawless, the flawless instruction of the Bible. And I ask God that you would Direct us that you would speak to us, that we as the church would be seen as a a, a solution because of our love in this moment in time. In Jesus' name, amen. To respond to God's message today, we have Carol Franz here to sing Be Still My Soul. She's sung um, for many other congregations all over the country, but it's her first time singing in her home church. So, Be Still My Soul. Mm-hmm. 
my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to So, Father, we honor you and we exalt you and ask that that might be our experience, that our souls will be stilled in the knowledge of the sovereign love of our good King. May your face shine upon us. May your spirit fill us. May you give us wisdom in the details of living for you in this day and age. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. You guys have a great day and a great rest of the weekend. May God bless you.
worshiping with us today. I'm Carol, and I serve at our Tri-Village Church, the Streamwood Campus. Kids and families, over the next three weeks, we have a special opportunity for you to be the church in your neighborhood. Each week, there's a special mission. Surprise a neighbor, invite another family to play a game, or host an ice cream social on your driveway. As more people are out walking and staying local, this is the perfect opportunity for you to introduce yourself and build some connections. Just as essential workers are needed during challenging times, we want to be essential neighbors in our communities. So, to find out more, visit wheatonbible.org kids to get the guide. And if you're having fun with it, send us a photo or tag us on social. We'd love to see how the Lord is using you in your neighborhood. Each summer, the campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner together to create the Puente del Pueblo Summer Program. Students in this program learn how to succeed in school, they learn important life skills, and they have a lot of fun. Volunteers who are mentoring students through this program are making a lasting impact, both in their educational and academic opportunities. So starting July 6th, we will be starting our summer program with additional precautions outlined by health officials for COVID-19. So if you are ready to serve the next generation, Visit wheatonbible.org volunteer to get signed up or to learn how else you can get involved. Training will begin through Zoom before the program starts on July 6th. We know there are a lot of new people that have been joining us on Sunday mornings. And while you have been getting to know us, we would love to get to know you. So at 1230 today, there's an after service party on Zoom. Some of our pastors will be there and team members will be there as well. They would love to talk to you, talk a little bit about the message and just get to know you. To get the link, visit our campus Facebook page. Lastly, we want to let you know that we love praying for your prayer requests every week. Whatever you are facing this week, we want to pray for you. So text PRAYER to 630-260-1600. You'll get a response and you'll be able to send you in your prayer requests so our staff can pray for you this week. That's all for today. Thanks for spending part of your weekend with us. We hope you have an amazing week.